Welcome to Experts Only Podcast, sponsored by Clean Capital. You can learn more at cleancapital.com. I'm your host, John Powers. Each week, we explore the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance with leaders across the industry. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to the Navigate webinar series from the Northeast Clean Energy Council in collaboration with Clean Capital. Thank you very much, John, for moderating this webinar, or should I say today, fireside chat about diversity and the clean tech sector. My name is Katarina Madeira, and I run Navigate. This series has the invaluable support from all Navigate sponsors, such as the state agency NYSERDA, who works to advance energy innovation, technology, and investment in New York State. Thank you for your support. And before passing the word to John, I'd like to kindly remind you to stay on mute and to use the Q&A feature to send us your questions and to advise you as well that at the end of the session, you'll receive a short survey that we'd very much appreciate if you could complete it, please, because your feedback is very important to us and our sponsors. And tweet with us using the handles NECEC and cleancapital underscore. And now it is my pleasure uh, to hand over to John Powers, Clean Capital co-founder and president. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thanks to Navigate for continuing to host these really interesting conversations. Uh, and the, we are sort of proud partners of the New England Clean Energy Council and the amazing work they're doing in the Northeast, uh, helping to really drive the energy transition. Uh, my name is John Powers. I'm a president and co-founder of Clean Capital. I'm joined today by Devin Hampton, who's the CEO of Utility API. We're going to dive much more into that, but I just want to step back and talk about the topic at can today and then introduce, introduce Devin. This is just so everyone knows, this is being recorded as part of an experts-only podcast. Uh, experts-only focuses on the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance. Uh, this topic today, building an equitable energy future, is really critical to that uh, as we want to have uh, a diverse workforce as we're building that energy transition. I also want to just point out that there's a lot of conversations happening in this space today. What we really want to focus on is not just the topic and the issue, but what actions you can take, whether you be an entrepreneur, whether you're working within a business, uh, whether it be just an employee, like how can, you, how can you help drive change within your companies? And we're going to talk about that today. But without further ado, I do want to introduce Devin Hampton. And Devin, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, I'm really, really happy to be here. And thanks for the opportunity to, to, to chat about it's been a pressing topic for some time, but uh, you know, it seems like now we, we have some momentum to get something done. Absolutely. So before you dive into the topic, I just want to step back and really talk about your personal background because it's fascinating. You grew up in Seattle. Uh, you end up uh, in Washington working uh, in the Obama administration. You know, talk about sort of what led you first into uh, the political sphere and then into the energy sphere. Yeah, you know, I... I uh... Appreciate the question. I, I will first say that I do not have what I think anybody would consider a traditional path in, in the politics or even into energy. You know, I, uh, you know, I'm from the Seattle area. Um, you know, my my I went to college when I was like 18 or 19. You know, like everybody else, and I dropped out probably two quarters later, right? And I got a job working for a union. My job was to throw uh, bags for Alaska Airlines, right? Uh-huh. Literally, like when you go flying and you check your bags, and somebody goes and stacks those in an airplane. That was me. Yeah. Right. Um, and I and I did that for for about five years actually. So tell time I was about twenty four, twenty five. And the reason why I bring that up is, you know, when you hear people talk about these panels, right? You know, it's like, well, I, I did college here, I did my MBA here, and then I got an internship here, and then I worked for this person here, and that's where I am. 
right? I think it's important that, that to really to to talk about that's not the normal that, that doesn't have to be the only way to do this kind of work, right? Sure. So I, I worked for the union. Um, at five years in, um, they actually laid off our entire union. So just phone call. Was this at the airport on Seattle? Yeah, airport in Seattle. Oh. Three phone call, three a.m. Um, congratulations, you don't have a job anymore. Right. And and for me at the time, I was like, well, you know, I'm 24, 25 years old. Like that was weird, but I'll just go back to school or something, right? Yeah. Um, and and the one thing that was hard about that though is is the, the, the folks that I worked with there at, at Alaska Airlines, at the, that union, right? I, I learned so much about how to get a job done and how to right. work hard, but also how to like work with very, very different people doing that job, right? Yeah. You're, you're, you're underpaid, you you worked hard, it's not safe, and you have to rely on each other, right? Yep. And so I had a camaraderie, right, with these folks that, that to this day are still some very close friends. Um, so we all got laid off. Uh, instead of going back to school, though, I, I started working in bars and restaurants and things. Again, not traditional path, right? Sure. And this guy, Barack Obama, starts running for president. Well, I've always had a huge interest in politics. You know, my friends would make fun of me because they're like, they're like, you're the only ramper who's reading the New York Times. Every day. <laughs> like, you know, and I was like, this is interesting stuff. This, this affects all of us, right? And, and the, I was like, okay, you know, I've always had an interest in this. I want to do this. I'm a bartender at this point. I don't know yeah. anything about politics. And so I literally found as many people as I could by talking to people in my bar and asking who they knew and sending emails to people. Hey, can I work for you? Of course, right. I got nothing back, right? Right, right, right? Finally, a regular of mine walked in and he was like, I'm actually running for city council. <laughs> wow. And literally uh, gave me an opportunity to volunteer in his campaign, you know, and he won, which got me a desk at City Hall, right? And, and so here I'm at City Hall, you know, young black guy, uh, intern. And it was interesting because this guy, Tim Burgess, who I worked for, was having me do community engagement. And he fought at City Hall. He was like, this guy's email can't be intern. He has a real name. Change the policies so our interns can be real people, right? And just that kind of lesson about what it means to fight for people so you can right. actually have real voices at the table was important. Um, I was able to take that job and it led to working with the governor and her campaign. And then um, sure enough, uh, some folks were working for Barack Obama. Uh, I was able to connect with them. So a year from the day that I started working, well, not the day, but the month I started working on this city council campaign, uh, I was backstage at an event briefing Barack Obama on what he's going to do that day for his campaign, right? That's amazing. And yeah, so I had this opportunity to really kind of just make this huge shift just by making myself, just like kind of asking for help, really. Yeah. And making myself vulnerable. Um, yeah. And so that, you know, obviously he it, won. It's interesting, Devin. A major portion of experts only conversations with folks about their backgrounds, because I actually, I was an elementary education major who went in the army. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was substitute teaching when I first got into both politics and energy, right? So, yeah. But, but the, the level of conversation you hear from the chief technology officer of Microsoft. Right, or I'm sorry, the chief chief environmental officer at Microsoft. He had no background in this yeah. in, in computers. Right, he was working uh, over in sub-Saharan Africa on some projects with the Peace Corps. Went back to school, and someone said you should probably check out computer science, and it led him on a trajectory that just changed his life. Right. Yeah, so, I, lo I love that, that that part of your story. So once the campaign's over, you decide to come to DC. Yeah, campaign's over. Uh, you know, come to DC help with the planning the inauguration. Yeah. You know, Maybe I was naive at the time. I had no idea that, that if you did well in a campaign that won, you might be able to get a job in administration, right? right. Um, and they asked, what are you interested in? And I was like, what do you mean what am I interested in? And, and they're like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I've always had a huge passion for science, technology, uh, and also this climate change thing seems pretty bad. Right. right. <laughs> who's, who's working on that? <laughs> yeah, who's working on that, right? 
And um, they said, well, you know, the U.S. Department of Energy is uh, it's the, the world's leader in tackling all these issues. Um, you know, you know how to get things done. So why don't you uh, go try to get a job there? Um, and I did. I knew nothing. And you had a couple of different roles at DOE, right? Yeah, a couple of different roles at DOE. You know, I, I, you know, again, talk about a group of folks who, who let me come in with, you know, maybe some ability to work hard, but not much subject knowledge and allowed me to kind of learn and grow. Right. I mean, yeah. I, I grew grew up at Department of Energy. Right. Like I started off planning advanced trips for Secretary Chu, which, you know, planning a schedule, basically. Right. Um, which then led to a job in his, in his office, you know, managing his schedule and his day to day functions, which then led to a job for the deputy secretary, kind of doing a little bit broader scope around, uh, you know, just playing you know, uh, I don't know how the best way to describe it. it kind of as a jack of all trades for him, right? Me and the deputy secretary worked together for for years, um, and the whole time, right? I'm just learning, just learning, right. just growing, uh, and and able to actually put some of this what I'm learning to work, right? Um, from there, I became the uh, senior advisor for emerging markets, which is because I'd been doing so much international work just by virtue of the Department of Energy goes beyond our borders, right? Right, the world's leader in energy policy, science, technology. Uh, and also, you know, on the other side, the agency is nuclear weapons and nuclear security. Um, so, so much international work is done through that agency. And so I, I learned a lot and was able to actually start uh, taking those learnings and putting them to work, not just domestically, but overseas. And so, yeah, in, in six years, I went from, you know, stapling papers to, to, to running initiatives. And that's testament kind of to how that administration also worked. Like, if you're smart and you can work hard and you learn stuff, you can put it to work, we'll keep, we'll keep giving you opportunities. Yeah. Yeah, and by the end, I argue I, that's I mean, how startups work too. Yeah. By the way, yeah, you know that's, that's right. exactly right. Like, I'm pretty familiar to that now. Right? <laughs> yeah, but it was it was a great way to to kind of you know fight this fight from the the, the policy standpoint. Yeah, um, and obviously that came to an end. But um, so was, when you uh, transition sort of po- po- well, first of all, at utility API, you know, you guys are built on some of the work done while you were at DOE, right? Which is the yeah. green button. Was that something you were working on there at all, or no, or, no? no. <laughs> you're trying to get me, right, trying to get me in trouble. You're trying to get me fired. No, know? it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it wasn't. No, but it was something obviously that was very, I was very aware of. Right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I tried when I was at uh, the yeah. White House. We tried to implement Green Button as the taxonomy for the federal government's energy, yeah. which was a fascinating effort. Uh, yeah, fascinating effort, and it laid some seeds. Right? It right. Some good sure. Work. It identified an issue. Um. You know, and that's exactly what Utility API, you know, we've, we've built is, for those of you who are listening, don't know what Green Button Connect is. It's this concept that um, uh, the data around how somebody uses energy, um, so that, you know, what we call kilowatt hours, or literally how much energy a home uses and how much that costs should be uh, recorded in a way that can be easily transferred to, from a utility to say like a solar provider. You know, there's a few catches there. That data is private, so it has to be secured, and people have to consent to that that transfer of energy data. Uh, and also, um, the idea of Green Button Connect was to try to also standardize what that data looked like. Right. If you've ever worked in software, right, data is no good unless it actually matches the formats that you need to match. And so, Utility API basically grew in the uh, from those seeds, saying, "Okay, there needs to be a standard around this." But in the meantime, we're going to build a company that actually enables this functionality that solar providers should be able to ask customers to see how they use energy in, in, in a basically a, a seamless uh, uh, exchange. And so we built a software service that does that. And in that experience, you, you didn't start off as the CEO of the city. No, no. So t- no. talking about sort of your growth in the company. Uh, yeah. I yeah, I mean, 
you know, I'd like to say that I, you know, I just landed here and knew exactly what to do, but that would be lying. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it was an interesting transition, right? I left government where we have budgets in the billions of dollars and, and staffs in, you know, the, the, the hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands. And I came to a startup and at the time, I think we were four people. Yeah. people and the idea the I came here because of the, you know I love serendipity right uh, I, I I wanted to work on a company with a company that was trying to make a difference and uh, I knew that uh, the idea of working for a startup was exciting because really the idea of molding what you're doing sounded uh, you know the difference being when I was in government sure my, my goal was to get to the, the the tip of the spear a lot of times in government you're 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 trying to just build the, the train tracks or trying to guide, right. but I wanted to actually get to the implementation side. And you know, my last role in government was a chief of staff at the trade and development agency, which is an implementation agency. Right. And so I, I realized I like that kind of getting things done piece, the action. And so a startup, you can think of something in the morning, have somebody work on it and it can be deployed that afternoon. Right. right. You want to talk right. about, you know, getting things out there. And so utility API, when I came here, um, they had just had their founding CEO. She had just left. And um, they weren't hired. They weren't looking for a new CEO. The the, the her co-founder, our current you know CTO, just took the reins and said, "I can you know it's my company. I own most of it." Right. Uh, I came on just to kind of help with a few things. You know, business development. The ideas around this is a highly regulated industry. You know, you you are a political person. You probably know how to work with these regulators and, and yeah. these highly regulated entities. Um, but also, you seem to be passionate about you know climate change and also the the next wave. The, the, the technology providers who are trying to do the, provide these new services. Right. So can you come help build some of these relationships and, and you know do a little sales role, a little regulatory role, kind of everything. At the startup, yeah. you just do whatever it takes, right? Totally. Um, and, and did that for, for about a year or so, and, and maybe two years even, and it got to the point where, you know, hats off to our founder, Daniel, and our, our CEO, Lynn. They're, they're both like, this guy's doing all the things a CEO would do, right? Right. Here. Do you want to be the like let, like let, let's let's elevate you so you can actually have some control and power over what you, you, you what you want to do? And I don't know about y'all that work in startups, but for a founder to take the CEO hat off and hand yes. it to somebody um, without external pressure, it's a big deal. Um, it's a big deal. And so um, I think it's testament to our team uh, and what we're trying to build here is we all understand each other's strengths and we we all lean in where, where we can and, and realize where uh, the other folks are going to fill the gaps. Yeah. Um, so, so it's been a really, really nice um, journey here so far. Before we dive into the, sort of the the issue at hand, just for a commercial utility API, like what's next for you guys? What's you know, how? Yeah. Give the quick sales pitch to the audience and why they should be working. With quick you. sales pitch, yeah, yeah. So right now we're used over by by over a thousand um, technology providers, including Clean Capital, so, including Clean Capital. Thank you very much. Right. Um, we help them get the data they need for their projects, and once they build their projects, they're able to use us to continuously monitor the performance by looking at the, the, the energy data from the utility. So we built this entire market, right? But what was missing was the utilities themselves. We were just using them as a data source, but we weren't including them as customers. Right. And so we've, we've built a, a new platform where we can we go to the utilities and say, hey, there's a whole new market out there looking for you. Yeah. You want to engage with them by being an easy data solution for them. Basically, if you have energy efficiency programs or solar programs or storage programs, uh, you name it, uh, demand response, you need to be able to share data in a secure and private way. The tool already exists. You don't have to go right. build it. And not only does it exist, but we already have the market using it. So sign up. Um, we built that actually with the help of Department of Sign up at utilityapi.com. Yeah, sign up at utilityapi.com. Yeah, sign up at utilityapi.com. And literally, you know, we have utilities now turning this new functionality on. Um, you know, it's white labeled. It's a 
but it's our our tech, tech behind it. And oh, that's wonderful. That's really, yeah, that's that's an inflection point for us. We've we've built this market. We know it can work. Right. Um, and when you talk about fighting climate change, right? Like we have huge impact numbers for our size because every single one of those projects that gets built means that you're putting more clean energy on the grid um, versus uh, using traditional sources. So um, pretty proud the, of that. The data is so critical and and so critical managing yeah. owning those assets, managing owning, speeding up the process. You know, a process that took a month before takes five minutes. So oh, first of all, thank you for the work you guys are doing. And I want to transition now to sort of the conversation at hand. And, you know, I think we're, we're um, there's a national conversation happening around today around diversity and inclusion. Uh, and I do want to talk about some of the challenges of the industry, but I also want to talk about just actions people can take. Because I think sometimes, almost like climate change, my wife always says to me, she's like, sometimes I just wonder, like, what else can I do? What can I do? Yeah. Right. So having those clear actions are really critical. But I just want to set the stage for a second. I'm going to fall back. On some a little bit little bit age data, but from this from the solar job census, that almost two hundred fifty thousand solar workers nationwide, women only represent twenty six percent of them. Uh, uh, Hispanic and Latino workers sixteen percent, Asian workers eight, uh, Black or African American workers uh, less than eight percent. Not to the national numbers in terms of mm-hmm. uh, equality. So. What are some of the challenges the industry's facing here? And you know, I think there's a, a lot of them. <laughs> but you know, let's just let's How much time paint do we a have? picture. Yeah, paint a picture of the problem before we sort of get to the solution. I mean, you you really just laid it out there in those numbers, right? I mean, this industry is, um, you know, folks call it clean tech, some folks call it climate tech, clean energy, whatever you name it. It's the fastest growing sector in the energy space. Right. Like, you know, it, it drives me crazy when you hear people talk about, you know, we're killing jobs. It's like we're creating more jobs than have ever existed. Right. Right. So, but we see what's happening already. We're seeing numbers that are similar to, to the tech sector elsewhere right. in, our, in our space. And, and I think the difference is, though, that most people that work in this space aren't here because we're, we're trying to get rich. It's we're, folks are here, you know, if you, you know, it's not to just make pretty websites and, and new like apps to click. It's because we're trying to fight climate change. We're trying to bring solutions. You want to talk about action, right? We right. are trying to bring solutions to the table. And by not having a bench that actually matches our country, right? Working on the problem, you know, I like to say that climate change is an all hands on deck issue. And we're trying to fight it without all hands on deck, yep. right? Um, you know, there has been study after study that show diverse teams bring stronger business results. Um, and since our business is fighting climate change, we need to build stronger, diverse teams. Um, I can use Utility API as an example. You know, our, our leadership is, is a white man, uh, LGBTQ identifying woman, uh, and a black dude. Our lived experience has virtually zero overlap. I mean, if there was a Venn diagram, right. we'd be like, <laughs> right? But because of that, we argue and fight in a trusting and respectful way and bring different perspectives to the table that allows us. I mean, we should have been that we should, this company should be gone. We should have gone out of business in the solar downturn when the most majority of our customers were big solar companies. We're in the middle of a pandemic right now. Right. right. Um, but we're able to see and have different perspectives on and different risk tolerances, frankly, on how to run the business. And ultimately where we come to pretty solid decisions about what we should be doing next. Those diverse voices are so important, not just for internal decision-making, but also think about your customer base, right? Like if you're trying to serve, you know, customers across this country and and people in your company don't look like the people you're trying to sell to, you're going to, you're at a disadvantage, Um, right? Same goes for boards, right? It is just, to me, it's just common sense, just like fighting climate change. We even wrote a blog about this on our website, you know, climate change and, and, and systematic racism. 
what's the, you know, what do they share in common? We, we know the solution of both. We just need to do them. Right. Right. right? right, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, frankly, right. Like it is, it's time for action, time to start, start making those changes. And so I guess is what we're here to talk about today. Yeah. I, let's talk about some of those actions. I mean, you know, part of it is, you know, and I'll just be candid about clean capital. We we've done a great job on gender diversity. We've done an only limited job uh, diversifying beyond that, but it's not mm-hmm. from a lack of, of at least conscious effort. But then when we think back and think about like how are we recruiting, right? Most yeah. of us we recruit through our network, we recruit through our LinkedIn. You know, we're we're missing those sort of critical next steps. You know, what um, you you founded uh, something called the Empowering Diversity and Clean Tech Partnership with the Clean Energy Leadership Institute. Yeah. For a second, for folks that don't know, we have a whole episode on CLI, but can you just talk for a second about CLI and what it does? Yeah, yeah. So we're Edict, Empowering Diversity and Clean Tech is a group of almost 40 clean tech companies that have committed, uh, and we can talk about the commitments in a moment, um, certain uh, actions um, to start solving these issues we're talking about. But Edict is just a collective of companies. It's not a, a nonprofit or anything that's run to do this kind of stuff. And so we've partnered with CLI, the Clean Energy Leadership Institute which has a framework for not only um, trying to reach out to diverse communities, right. but also to, to train or, or, or really give people the skills that it takes to work in this space, right? Um, part of our, the EDIC founding idea is that, you know, clean tech is still pretty young. So if you get in now, you're going to be a leader in five years. But on top of that, because most of the companies are, are mostly investor, venture-backed type of kind of grow quickly companies, um, these companies also fail quite often. You know, it's just the way that it's structured so far. And as a collective, then if you come in and start working for one company and get these skills, the other companies are going to snap you up. Either if you the company fails, but I think let's think of the positive light. As this industry grows, people want to have career paths. And even if your company is growing and thriving, but you want to switch to a different company, another company that's part of our, our organization will, will likely snap you up. And so it's trying to offer a, a career path. And so Clean Energy Leadership Institute is really helping us with some of the the backbone of how yeah. to actually operationalize some of these, these issues. Yeah, excellent. I love it. So let's talk about the action plan. I mean, the goal of the actions, is, and I'm going to literally read this, so excuse me, but is to build a more diverse, inclusive, stronger, clean energy sector. But you've got it sort of broken down to six different uh, dif- different actions. I'm going to challenge everyone to find this on the CLI website uh, because it's when you can look at those actions, you can really think about how you can implement them within your own company. Um, you, why don't you, you want to walk us through those actions? Or am I happy to yeah, and I'll, and I'll do my best to, to not tell a 14-minute story for each one. But yeah. actually, these actions are six actions, but they, 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 they all came to, 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 to fruition through some you know, really hard and comfortable conversations, which I think are important. And that's, right. and that's what we're talking about right now. You know, the, the first is, is what I think is a, is, a, is a first, it's an action that you can take now before doing anything. And it's, it's pushing to in, for the inclusion of diverse voices at um, conferences and industry events. Meaning, if you get invited to speak on a panel and you look at some of the other panelists or you look at the old conference and you recognize that, hey, wait a minute, this, this is just a bunch of white men. Yeah. Say something. Right. No, yeah, no manals, right? Say something. <laughs> just be like, hey, why, we're, we're, we're putting a bad face forward. And that actually came out of, I, I, I had a conversation with the climate event we hear in the Bay Area two years ago, it seems like a century ago, where people were like, we're going to fight climate change and we have all the world's leaders here. And then I was talking to CEOs, I'm not going to call them out, of a very, very large uh, American company that's not in the energy space. And, and they went to the, they said, hey, you know, to a friend of mine, 
we're going to do a, a panel on women in, 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 in finance. You should speak on it. This is two white men. And I stopped and said, why don't you all speak on it? Why don't you go up there and talk about why it's important to have women in finance? And they looked at me like I had three heads. <laughs> but the idea is, is that, of course, you're going to have. So when I say diverse people at the conference, I don't mean have a diversity panel led, led by diverse people. I mean, throughout every panel, I want to see the financing, the next round panel, be black and brown people. And the diversity is important, be a bunch of white dudes. Right. Because right. <laughs> obviously, I think it's important. I deal with all this, you know, crap every day. Yeah. Um, it, it's we're only going to start winning when the folks who, and I, I guess it's something I should also figure out. And I promise the rest of them won't be so long. No, this is, is important. That, is that bringing diverse voices in, at to the table doesn't just help the diverse voices. It actually does more <laughs> for the other folks who are already there. Right. Um, you know, it's the common uh, when people try to slam like an affirmative action program. It's like you know who benefits the most from this. Not the new person you brought in the door. It's the people that are already there who never had a diversity of thought like this who are now going to have their eyes open to different ways to think about things. Yeah. And so I really wanted to make that point that, that this is an easy action. Call it out. Make a change. Do extra work. Um, yeah. You know, and I can keep going through if you want me to. No, look, as someone who gets invited to do a lot of panels, a lot of conversations, it's something that we've, we've implemented, but it, it is extra work. It's, it's, it's making that ask of not just I'll do it and I'll send me a calendar invite, but like, let me see who else is going to be in here. Hey, by the way, we think about X, Y, and Z. To yeah, I love it. Um, and you know that helps. Like so when so when someone like me shows up to the conference, and I'm like, oh, here we go again, right? <laughs> Being the only person of color in the room is, you know, it was a game for me at some point. I try to count how many others. Sometimes I wouldn't need more than one or two fingers, right? Right. And that's that that is shifting, but not quickly enough. Yeah. So um, I think one of the next ones, the next actions is really important, which is interviewing diverse candidates for job openings. Uh, and not just for job openings, but for, uh, you know, how we can mentor, or promote, sort of sponsor people throughout the industry. You know, if, if someone sort of commits to that, like what kind of actions should they be taking to sort of help diversify their, their applicants? Yeah, I mean, it kind of plays off the first one, right? It's when you're hiring for a new position, you know, and I struggle with this myself, right? Um, we, are, we are dealing with a system that is, stacked against uh, uh, people from uh, underrepresented communities. Right. Right. And so when you're trying to find a new position or a new hire, um, you know, we just hired a bunch of software engineers. We're hiring a VP of sales. Right. You can't rely on just traditional, um, you know, quote unquote traditional, uh, go to the, the business school down the street and see who's around. Right. Unless that business school has been doing a job, good job themselves. Right. right? And so it is, it's, it's just recognizing that when you're doing an interview process, they, they, you need to, you need to work harder. Um, that it's worth that extra work to put in to find candidates, you know. And I'm not saying that companies have to be overrepresentative, right? We, you know, in this country, I, you know, the percentages just just hit the, the the percentage of people in the country, right? Right. Or in your own community, right? I, I'm from a city called Tacoma, Washington, and I know the city there has made a commitment to making the city staff match the city itself, hmm. right? Pretty interesting goal, but like that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Right. And then so similarly, it's like, think about who you have already on your team. Think about the people that you work with and the communities that you serve or the country that you're a part of. And like, okay, let's try to make sure that I'm at least including these diverse voices uh, in my, in my interview panels. Right. And I think the second part that was also important is, is once you bring somebody in and once you make connection is continue to mentor and, and 
sponsor their success. I, I have heard too many stories of, you know, especially black women, I'll be frank, yeah. who once they get the job are, are treated as, you know, someone's like, I'm the director of such and such. Yeah, they, people keep asking me to schedule their channel, their, their, their travel for them. Right. 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 Why are they asking me to direct their, schedule their travel? Right. And it's because of this unconscious bias that they're just not used to having a black woman as our peer. Right. Right. And I wish I would almost laugh, but it's really sad. Right. Yeah. And it's so interesting. It's like, I, I hear your personal story, right? And some of the mentors that yeah. you had along the way. Right. And it's so critical. Me personally, I mean, I, I had no right following the career path I had, but I had coaches who helped me figure out and yeah. do it. And I, I try to do that myself personally and back as much as I can because it's such a critical piece of the, the, yeah. the future development leaders. So, Definitely. so um, Definitely. I think one of the things I love about this, these actions is you specifically specific call out the, the need to having uncomfortable conversations, right? Yes. At the corporate level. Uh, I'll tell you yeah. what we've done at Clean Capital is we've, you know, put together uh, a, a working group of folks that are really passionate about this and we're forcing the conversation both of the management not that it needs to be forced, but making sure that mm-hmm. conversation happens at the management and board level on these issues. Like, how do how can you? What do you advise sort of companies who are looking to force that that conversation? Yeah, and this is part of why we wanted to partner with CLI. Uh, is is you know they 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 make sure that people talk about this, right? And, and talking is a start. But like, I'll give a couple examples. I was very fortunate myself to to have a black man as my boss at one point in my career, um, because frankly, like working in the energy space, that can be a rarity. Um, and so it was really nice to have somebody that, that looked like me that understood the external issues that might be going on. There are always going on as being a black man in this country. And then there's a question though, that I asked almost all the founders and CEOs who've signed the pledge so far, at least once I've had a chance to talk to And this actually came from a different mentor of mine, a woman. When I was interviewing for a job with her, she asked me, she said, how many women have you had as a boss in your life? And I said, oh. And I actually had forgotten it was one, but I was like, zero? And she was like, here's a book. Go read it. And then I might think about hiring you. I'm, I'm serious. Wow. I'm serious. You, you may know her. Uh, Lee Zapp used to run the USTDA. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Here's a book. I might think about hiring you after you read this book. Uh, <laughs> right? Well, and it was about, um, you know, how awesome it is to have a woman for a boss. Yeah. And, and what women bring to the workspace. Um, and it really, that, that always stuck with me. So I asked all the, the leaders, mostly white men, I said, hey, um, have you ever had a black peer or a black boss in your career? And, and most, you know, we're like, no. And right. that's the beginning of an uncomfortable conversation, right? right. You know, we're sitting here on Zoom because we can't be in the same room. And I'm like, okay, that's like nothing to feel guilty about, right? But that just means that you might want to think about internally your organization, um, what it's going to be like when you do succeed in bringing in uh, people that don't look like you. Um, you know, we can break it down even further. Like, are you used to getting criticism from somebody that doesn't look like you? Right. right. We talk about black boss or black peer, right? Someone that tells you that you, you know, your idea stinks right. and that here's how you can make it better, right? If you have some kind of unconscious bias, you know, you're not going to be able to benefit from that diverse voice if you're too busy getting angry and hurt right. uh, in a way that you wouldn't with somebody that looks like you. Um, and so that was why we put that. Like, like we, the companies themselves have to do probably as much work internally, uh, or this doesn't succeed. We, 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 we bring people in and they're like, this is stupid, I'm out of here. Yeah, um, and it can't be a one-time I, conversation, right? No, and, and you know, I, I, I have one little anecdote on that is, you know, after I think it was after Mr. Floyd was killed in Minneapolis, I was on a call with only black folks in this space, and I was encouraging some of everybody. I was like, "Hey, y'all! So we are the answer to the problem. Meaning, people want innovation in this community. They want different perspectives. So that's us. 
And I was like, use your voice. And the younger guy said, hey, you must be out of your mind. If I am my, you know, authentic black self at, at the office, I'm going to get fired. Oh, wow. And that broke my heart because I knew his boss. Right. 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 And I was like, oh, my Lord, you're right. Like, and so it's like, it's so pointless. If, if people don't feel comfortable being themselves, then this is not going to succeed. And yeah. our businesses are going to suffer from it. So that's where this commitment came from is we have to have those conversations and make sure that people feel comfortable being themselves at work. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to focus on the next two, which I think are really yeah. interesting. You've got yeah. mid-career senior hires and you got interns. Yeah. Right? You guys sort of go after both of them, uh, yes. which I love, right? Because it's, it's critical to yeah. have. Uh, yeah. You know, you, you need, we need not only to, to build a bench, but to empower a bench that's there already. Yeah. So, you know, in some of this is about hiring, right? And and sort of that, that process to go through uh, the hiring process. Any advice on like how to actually help to both grow the pool of applicants, right? And engage, and this is maybe too much of an HR question, but really, you know, engaging questions that aren't, um, that aren't uh, restrictive, right? And from a, a cultural perspective. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, this is, this is a place where this is why I, I'm looking for partnering with other organizations, right? I've, I've said this is a problem. The reason why it's broken out in interns and mid-career and senior is that I often hear when people talk about diversity initiatives, like, oh, we should do paid internships. Right. Pretending that there's not already co- not qualified candidates out there. Like, we had to create the candidates, right? And I'm like, right, oh, my right, God. Right. Okay, that's, we got a long way to go here. Right. right? Um, you know, I would love to get, you know, my next VP of sales, maybe if someone doesn't know energy, but they're crushing it, you know, in, in, in some other tech sector, right? Or, yep. or outside of tech, right? They're working in real estate or something. I can teach them energy. Right. Right. And so that that the mid and senior from other industries is exactly that. Look beyond your normal scope, and then and then for the internships, the reason why we get paid is 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 you know because of the way that our country has been structured for now I get it yeah hundreds of, hundreds of years. People that, that most people can't do unpaid internships. Yeah, we got to pay people for work, and so it's to make sure that we don't we take the risk out of that. Um, but do you have spent question, way too much time in Washington D.C., which lives on unpaid interns. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's like exactly. So, so you, who are the interns that you get? Right. Right. You know? Exactly. People that can afford to not work for three months live in Washington D.C. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. Uh, which was not me. This is why the army paid for college for me. So I. Right. Yeah. You know exactly. Which you know I yeah definitely was not going to happen. I got paid in D.C. So I could still barely live there. Yeah. <laughs> Well, now you're even worse. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I a startup and open. I know. I'm on the wrong career path. So the last thing, and I think this is interesting because it also sort of ties to your day job, which is about data and yeah. holding people accountable. Um, you know, how do you sort of advise companies to, you know, sort of develop and manage metrics on this? Yeah. So this this one is a this is a big challenge, right? We are still trying to sort out the the uh, how how we can look at the metrics is it just trying to match the con- com- country as a whole is it or is it incremental change within the companies themselves right um what i want to do though is want to make sure that it, it you know as edict we come up with a template that everybody has to adhere to uh, and i'll be the first one to say this is hard right like i'm hiring right now and i've had to hire uh two non-diverse candidates of the of the four that i'm hiring for right and, yeah. and i need to say that right i can't hide it like, right. Right. Like I need to be open and say, this is hard work. And, and I have failed in, in, in maybe fail is the wrong word. Cause these are great guys that we've hired. Right. right. But when it comes to our organization as a whole, we are looking at this and we're realizing that we have too much groupthink. We're going to hurt our growth. 
right? And so how do we constantly maintain this, 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 this balance, right? And, uh, and so being transparent like that, radically transparent, I think is, is, is also a big feature of this. Can, can I have to go deeper on that with you yeah, for yeah. a second? So as you're going through that, and we're, we're also hiring two, by the way, cleancapitalcareers.com mm-hmm. careers, if you're interested. You tell me <laughs> <our> jobs. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, as you're looking to uh, grow that diversity, right, and you're going yeah. through the process, and I don't, know, we, I don't know what we use, Jazz as our, you know, recruiting tool for, for, yeah. for, for resumes. You know, were you pushing to make sure you had uh, a certain amount of candidates that were in diversity for each slot? Like, how did you think yeah. about that in the phase one and two of the hiring process? Right, yeah. So, you know, I'll use our engineers, for example. You know, in, in, being hired for to be a software uh, developer, you so it's a, it's a technical job. We have a really hard test that we make people take, right? And so to make sure that we have people pass, we actually have to have quite a few people take that test. And so what we do is we encourage people that say, hey, you know, our job posting says, like, if you have experience in these things, but don't worry too much about what your resume looks like. We don't care if you went to college. We don't care if you have the checkbox on the resume. Can you pass this test? And just take it, right? right. And if they don't pass the test, but we like them, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to open a can of worms here. If you failed our test and we liked you, we probably still have you in a file somewhere and we're going to call you back for a different job. Someday. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. Meaning that if you couldn't pass the, the, that, that really difficult test for a certain role, but you had technical chops, you know, we need, we're going to need help for, you know, account management, technical account yep. management, right. Or, or, or other kind of project manager, anyone that needs to understand the software, but maybe seems to have something else to Right, yeah. it wasn't the right fit for that job, but that we could use down the road, right? And so it's, it is for us. It's it's really getting rid of requirements for jobs and saying what can you do, yeah. Right, um, you know, I think we get caught a lot in, in the industry. Someone check the right boxes. I, I don't check the right box. I didn't graduate college. I was like thirty seven years old or something like that, right? Right. Like I wouldn't have got this job if there was a requirement around right. you know these things. The same thing in the government, right? Um, you know, there are requirements in the government around skills uh college courses taken et cetera, et cetera, right but you know as a you know the point being is um, i was a political appointee so i was a civil servant yeah right there are very different set of rules and we've followed the kind of same model here at the startup you uh if you seem smart and know how to get things done we'll find a job that you fit in yeah the right people on the bus right, right? Yeah. yeah so i'm going to ask a really interesting question that came in from the audience and this is about someone who is sort of within, it comes from someone within a company and said, how do I nudge my company and colleagues to think more about this issue? So it sounds like someone who's passionate about this and really wants to try to yeah. push, push upwards and around. Yeah. How do you nudge someone? I mean, frankly, I, I, I don't know how to give advice for people to, to, to talk about uncomfortable things. I like talking about uncomfortable things. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's what the nudge is, is just get yourself ready to have an uncomfortable conversation. Because it sounds like if they're looking to nudge, it feels like they don't feel like it's going to be something that, that people uh, are actively already addressing. Um, yeah. So depending on the situation, I, I find it's very powerful to say, hey, we're not doing best by our investors or by our customers. Our team is not you know, uh, built in a way that is going to, that is proven to bring greater success for what we're up to, what we do. Right. Yeah. That, that's one way to look at it. Um, you know. Can I suggest a nudge? Yeah. Can I suggest a nudge? Because yeah, I would love to learn that. Um, we didn't really nudge; we were sort of went in. But you know, one thing we did in Slack is we created an allyship channel for people mm. to start posting stories and data about these issues. 
And what you saw was this all of a sudden drum beat. Yeah. Folks across the company saying, Oh, I read this article. This is here. This is here. And that led to, you know, a, a development of a working group, which led to action, taking your, your actions and adopting them. Right. So, yeah. you know, just it, maybe take, take that first step and sort of see how it's received. Not that this is a Slack commercial, but it worked pretty well. No, I think it's a great <laughs> one. And we, we have a random channel here at the office of people posting like it's all done. I, I didn't think about that as a fact that that's a great way to, you know, we talk about it daily here. So it's, yeah, I bet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe people want me to stop talking about it actually. So, um, you know, I want to sort of step, step back in a second and, and just go back to you personally. And as we're sort of wrapping this up and, you know, if we could look at the workforce uh, in 2030 mm-hmm. across the industry, you know, what does it look like? Well, I mean, I think that's, that's, that's what the real opportunity is. This industry is still so nascent that if we have success, you know, it's simply just having the workforce match the community it serves, which is, a, you know, the, the entire country. And we have yeah. 10 years, right? And so, I mean, frankly, and, you know, I hear my father say this, you know, I, I hear older people say this, you know, when, when as a black man, when he was fighting for a lot of these things in the 60s and 70s, right? I thought it'd be done by now, right? right? And I have the same hopes. In 10 years, in 10 years, if we are still just talking about how we need to fix this problem, right? We, right. It's kind of the same timeline for climate change. We have 10 years to figure this out, right? right? If we don't figure this out in 10 years, you know, um, but I have to have hope. I mean, the, the alternative is, is too bleak that people are now waking up and we're having this uncomfortable national conversation finally. Yep. Right? I mean, Black Lives Matter is, I think, the largest social movement this country has ever seen. Um, that means something. Um, it's no longer just a fringe idea of civil rights, and some people do that. This is this is everybody, um, and so this feeds into that same narrative. I love it. So I'm going to go back to and just end with a question I ask sort of all my my guests. And if you could go back to yourself uh, in, in Tacoma, coming out of high school before you uh, went to your two yeah. your your two semesters of college, you know, and you could sit down and have a beer, like what advice would you give yourself? Give myself that that person then? Yeah, I me. Mean, you know, I I actually. I'm really happy for the detours I took. Yeah. So I would probably sit down and have a beer and say, you know, enjoy the ride. You're going to learn a lot. You're going to learn a lot. It's going to be a lot of hurt. There'll be a lot of joy. Yeah. Um, but like, just, just lean in. Just don't be scared. I guess the, the biggest advice was don't ever be scared just to be you. Yeah. Um, be your authentic self. Bring that to the table constantly. And then you won't ever worry about diminishing who you are and, and just live your life. Don't let it, you know, don't let other people take the shine off. And I think that's super important for anybody that, it looks like me in this country is that we're so always as black men trying to make sure that we don't scare people or that we're not looked at or that we don't live up to stereotypes, right? Right. And 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 it's so exhausting to try to just fit in the certain molds and stuff and not to be who you actually are. That I would make sure to tell that younger Devin that, hey man, just 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 be you. And, and yeah, if you match any mold or not, who cares? Just be yourself. It seemed to it seemed to work to you. So thank you so much for being on and thanks for the great work you guys are doing at utility api and thanks for driving edict and the and the work that you're doing the actions folks can take across yeah the i appreciate the opportunity and thanks for the chance to have the this conversation and you know to anybody listening i i am always happy to, to answer questions or to learn more about what somebody else is doing in this space um we gotta do this together so um a group effort Thanks. And, and for, for the folks at NECEC and Navigate, Katrina, thank you so much for helping to put this together. I want to thank the producers of the podcast, uh, Colleen Young and Carly Batten. You can get more episodes at cleancapital.com. 
Uh, you can learn more about the work that Devin's doing, both the Utility API and as well as at .com and as well as through CLI. Find the the actions and adopt them in your company so we can have that workforce we talked about in 2030. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you very much, John and Devon. And uh, thank you to our audience and again to Clean Capital and uh, NYSERDA. Thanks for listening in today's conversation. Find more episodes on cleancapital.com, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. We look forward to continuing our conversation on energy, innovation, and finance with you.